0: You're listening to The Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Crosscheck NHL Show. I'm here with Mary Clark, my co-host. I'm Andrew Berkshire, and today we are going to talk about the trade deadline. We're going to run down the slowest deadline in the last eight years, uh, we're going to get to the big trades that happen at the end and the big trades that happened before because everything in between was super boring. And uh, we'll recap maybe our uh, Locked On Live Reaction show that we had a lot of fun on yesterday. We're also going to talk about the Montreal Canadiens and their blue line, which is all over the place, it seems. And there's rumors surrounding them as well, including one that probably got some people pretty angry. And then finally, we're going to grade every NHL team's deadline as quickly as we can. And uh, just, you know, a quick 1 to 10, maybe A to F grade. We'll see how it goes. And then at the end of the show, we're going to do our regular BuzzFeed quiz to get to know Andrew and Mary. You can follow me at Andrew Berkshire. You can follow Mary at Mary C. Clark. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, anywhere you can get a podcast. All right, Mary. So the trade deadline. Uh, Only 17 trades on deadline day. Uh, Most of them were small fry trades. But uh, right before that, we got uh, like the night before Taylor Hall to Boston. Mm -hmm. That was pretty huge.
0: Yeah, that was. Um, Going back a little bit, deadline day was really slow. I mean, we all kind of knew that it was going to be slow because of things like the flat cap, the expansion draft coming up and probably things like the Canadian border. People don't want to like trade across the Canadian border because of quarantine stuff. So we all kind of knew that it was going to be a you know, very slow deadline, but even yesterday was, was really boring. I must, I must say, like, I, I know we were doing our uh, deadline show uh, from uh, the locked on deadline show, which was fun to do. Cause we had a bunch of guests to talk to and stuff, but like, there weren't really many breaking trades. Like we didn't have to like cut in with anybody and be like, Oh, somebody fun got, you know, got traded all the, all the big moves such like Taylor Hall like happened the night before. And that was kind of disappointing because a lot of people were like in bed at like midnight, but it was, it was fun to see Taylor Hall go. But like by the time Monday morning rolled around, there were no trades like, and there were no big names left either. Like, I mean, Taylor Hall had gone. Palmieri had gone. Savard had gone. Felino had gone already by that point. Like all those big names had gone, but yeah. Uh, so at least circling back to Taylor Hall, uh, for me, the biggest thing is the fact that Buffalo didn't get a first in return for him. They got only a second, um, and considering what other deals transpired during the deadline, like had first attached to them, I'm kind of surprised. But then I guess, like when you dig a little bit deeper into like Hall's reasonings about you know wanting to go to Boston and Boston alone, uh, that it was kind of like the Sabers were kind of hamstrung basically to. Figure out where to trade Taylor Hall because he only wanted to go to one place and he would only have waived his no move clause if he was going to Boston.
1: Yeah, I, I at first I was like, Yeah, I totally understand that. And you know, Buffalo can only do so much. And then I was on the PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich last night with uh, Shana Goldman as well. And Shana just went off and she was like, Kevin Adams didn't have to tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, know that Taylor Hall only wanted to go to Boston. Create the market, this is your job. And it's like, this is one of those situations where it's probably, you know, first year GM and you don't necessarily have the wherewithal or the, um, I, I don't know how to exactly put it. I don't want to say mental acuity because that's a little bit harsh, but like <laughs> the experience to create that market for a player like Hall, especially with the garbage year that he's had, you know, it, it, it's a tough situation but I, I do think that a had a point that uh, they probably could have got more if they'd put a little bit more effort into it and handled things a little bit better.
0: Yeah. It's, it's or maybe even problem. sweetened the pot a little bit more for yeah. Boston to take, to get a first. Like, cause I mean, we've been talking before on previous podcasts about how we thought the Sabres should, you know, sell, sell, sell. There shouldn't be much of anybody, at least in my opinion, that they should have, you know, kept around, but Uh, it's very possible they could have just, you know, added another player in there and, you know, had Boston have a first for them. So, but of course, salary cap and all that. I mean, I guess going through the details of the trade, it was Taylor Hall and the Sabres um, retained 50% of the salary and Curtis Lazar going to the Bruins and the Sabres acquired Anders Bjork and a 2021 second round pick. So that was the, that was the deal that came down. So yeah. uh, I mean, like I, like I said, I'm just very surprised considering the caliber of players that got first throughout the rest of the deadline. Um, and even on Detroit deadline day, there were still players that were getting first that we'll talk about. But, yeah, I was just very surprised. And I guess Buffalo fans are probably kind of mad, if I would have to guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we talked to uh, Joe from the Locked on Sabres podcast, and he felt he, the way he kind of put it was that they weren't as mad as they expected to be just because this mm-hmm. season has been such a drag and Maybe the energy level is just not there to get mad anymore. I mean, they've been. It's apathy out at of the this point. Now, yeah. Right. Like it's just, at least it's done. And at the end of the day, it's a free agent signing that only cost the team money. Uh, and then they got a couple of free assets out of it. So it's like a very small, very thin silver lining to the season that they got something. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit surprised that Buffalo didn't sell a little bit more, but. Yeah, same. Uh,
0: I like, guess we could, we should also say that Taylor Hall didn't help his case either, but this no, case no, either by all. not playing well, he's got what two goals. I think like he could very well double that the next time he plays with Boston, like when he plays Easily. with Boston. Yeah. So like he didn't really help this case either. I mean, he still got to go where he wanted, but it's definitely, he didn't really, you know, help the Sabres at all in this instance.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe this might be a learning experience for Kevin Adams to not give mm-hmm. a player so much control. Right. Because not only did uh, Hall have a one-year contract and essentially have a out clause for his uh, no trade clause to go somewhere at the deadline, like the fact that he narrowed it down to one team, that's, that's rough. Like you've Mm got to be able to have some flexibility, even if you have like the flexibility to move that player at the end of the, uh, or by the trade deadline, it's only one year. So you're like nothing really ventured just cash, but you can't pigeonhole yourself that badly. Yeah, it's not it's not a good uh, good way to go forward. So I, I think it was like a bit of a hail mary this year from the Sabres to try to make something of this uh, shortened year, and it clearly didn't work. And what they recouped out of it was only okay.
0: Yeah, and I guess like going back to your point of um, them not selling more, it's very possible that the real bloodletting is going to happen in the off season when you know True. teams are want to want to be able to spend more because you know, expansion draft may be over by that point. Like all that type, like the draft will be over all that type of stuff. I mean, we've talked about the draft as an unknown quantity this year. So maybe people are more hesitant to give up, you know, like to get more draft picks just because they don't really, nobody really knows nobody's really scouted. Um, So it's very possible that Buffalo's like major, major cuts and like movement will happen in the off season.
1: All right. So the other big trade that we had that uh, I think was a bigger surprise than the Hall trade or really any other trade that day was Anthony Mantha to Washington for uh, Richard Ponick, Jacob Vrana, a first round pick this year and a second round pick next year. And on the face of it, I was like, wow, I can't believe that the Red Wings trade man- traded Mantha, but I-, I like the fit for Mantha on the Capitals, but the Red Wings brought in a Hall here. Yeah, like, I mean, I I, think I really that this like is- Jacob Vrana and a first and second round pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a haul for the Red Wings. Don't get me wrong, but I think this is a great trade for both sides. I mean, yeah. the Red Wings are in the process of like their tear down rebuild with Stevie Eiserman at the helm. And like, we know how good he is at getting, you know, every little last bit from a team. And it was plain to see in this deal with getting, you know, two players of that caliber plus a first this year. And then a second next year, that is, that is something, but I think that it works for both sides. I mean, Mantha like, I'm pretty sure he's the second, like he's the leading goal scorer on the Red Wings and then second only in points to, I don't remember who it is, but he's like at the top of their scoring. So like if he's doing that on the Red Wings who aren't a very potent team to begin with, he's going to he's gonna be something on Washington, I think. I mean, I know Panic and Verona were good players for them. Um, and I think Verona was probably had the higher upside of the two, but I think Mantha is going to fit in really well with them.
1: Well, I, I actually think that Mantha is the higher upside player overall, just because mm-hmm. he brings offense and defense to, to the picture. And Vrana is more of a...
0: I'm more Mantha the, between the two players the Capitals traded.
1: Oh, yeah, for, yeah, yeah, Okay, okay. For, yeah. for
0: starters, but yes. Yes. I understand okay. what you're saying. Sorry, <laughs> Mary. <laughs> it's
1: okay. <laughs> yes. Vrana definitely has more upside than Panic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vrana is a very good offensive player. Like, insanely good when you look at it from a rate stat perspective. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't get a lot of ice time. He was never really given the like the, the keys to the car in mm-hmm. Washington to really go, he will be given those keys in Detroit. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to see like, how good is this guy actually? Is he a sheltered minutes killer or is he a guy who has top line potential? And I think we, we know that Manta has top line potential already because he's been a top line player for several seasons on a very good line on a very bad team. Mm-hmm. What I'm intrigued by is the idea of maybe mo- moving Tom Wilson down, down mm-hmm. the lineup. Because Anthony Mantha has the size and snarl, not the same level as Tom Wilson, but he's got the physicality the, and man, he's six, five, like he's a big man. Yeah. And you put him beside Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. He can skate with them a little bit better than Tom Wilson can. He can definitely finish a lot better than Tom Wilson. That is terrifying.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting from the Capitals perspective, because it's um, you kind of want to get Tom Wilson up in the face of like the other team stars and stuff, do you know? Get them annoyed and like do the two do Tom Wilson things as he always does, but like he's not a bad player by any means. He's got some skill, so adding like so moving him down the depth chart isn't a bad idea in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean you can still kind of get him out against the top ish lines on the second mm-hmm. line, and you can give him a little bit more room to breathe as well. And I, I think Wilson is a guy that you know, like I I was very skeptical of him from the moment he was drafted, and I think the Capitals basically hammered a screw into a board until Wilson was good. Like he, he was just not good his first few years in the NHL. And they were like, all right, well, he's going to go on the top line with Ovechkin Backstrom or Ovechkin Kuznetsov like over and over and over again. And then eventually Mm -hmm. it's like their skill rubbed off on him a little bit. And you know, you you can't play with those guys forever and not get a half a point a game, (laughs) you know, like they're just too good offensively. So eventually he kind of like picked it up and he got a lot better and his skills grew into his giant body. And unfortunately his uh, dirty play hasn't really changed, but you know, that is part of what makes him a special player for them is he puts fear into the opponents and sometimes injures their best player in a playoff series and gets away with it. So it it's a, it's an asset to have both those guys there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, outside of them, uh, the flyers, your, your hometown <laughs> team there, Mary, I think we all expected a bit more selling, but not so much.
0: Yeah. um, The Flyers had a couple of moves, um, most notably at like the fringes, they re-signed Scott Lawton to a five-year deal, um, 3 million per year. Um, They also traded Michael Roffle to the Capitals and then Eric Gustafson to the Canadians who we'll talk about it uh, later down in the show. Um, But I know on, on Twitter, Flyers fans were kind of hoping that the team would sell a little bit more. Um, I mean, the Flyers aren't going to make the playoffs this year and, Chuck Fletcher's infamous comment about, you know, the mix not being right has fans, you know, chomping at the bit for something to happen. I mean, I know some Flyers fans really want the team to be imploded and for them to start over again because they they're like Ron Hextall's picks didn't work out like the young kids aren't like stars like we thought they could be. Uh, the, the core has been bad. The core is rotten. Like that's like the like a very vocal, but I think small contingent of the Flyers fan base who wants things to be blown up. Um But I always thought that the Flyers, at least at this deadline, weren't going to make many moves because Fletcher had said in a press conference a few weeks ago, I think back in March, that he was calling more people than he was receiving calls. So it was not really a market for um, the Flyers to do much. They really just made those like moves at the fringes. And I mean, Michael Raffles played a ton of games for the Flyers. He's had like, he's had more games than like, I think like Bobby Clark, which is incredible. considering. Yeah. Um, I don't have the number on hand, but he's played a ton of games for the Flyers, and he's a serviceable player. You could have played up and down the lineup, most notably as a fourth line guy. Um, I mean, he was kind of a just a, I guess, a heart and soul guy for the Flyers because he's just been around for so long. And I know I'm definitely going to miss him on the team, but like, there are definitely other players that could, you know, take his production. And then somebody like Eric Gustafson kind of got moved off of the the lineup, basically with the emergence of like Shane Goss' bear, like returning to his form again. And just, he kind of just slid down the defensive depth chart. And while he brought some offense, his defense was not good. So <laughs> uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later, but yeah. Um, so adding for Roffle, they added a fifth round pick this year and then Gustafson, they added a seventh round pick in 2022. It's not much. Um, but it it's something I know, and like I said, I know fans wanted more moves to happen this year with the, at least this deadline with the Flyers. But much like the Sabers, I think that they're going to be more active in the off season because there's just not a lot of room right now, considering everything that's hanging over everybody's heads with the flat cap and the expansion draft being huge, you know, barriers for people to trade. But I, if I had to guess in the off season, Chuck Letcher's definitely going to go after a defenseman of some caliber, hopefully a top pair, top pairing guy to pair with Ivan Provorov because he needs it, but we'll see. And I mean, I know fans are kind of so, so on the Scott Lawton um, extension. I think that a guy like that can kind of fill a, like a Michael Roffel type role with the team. I think he's got a bit more skill than Roffel has. Um, I know the term is long. Five years is probably like two years too long, but from what uh flyers insiders were saying that's what he wanted um so i guess i'm not surprised that they stuck with lawton as a known commodity because he's a good enough skill guy for them sometimes that he's more of like a middle bottom of the lineup guy for them but he's not a bad uh, player by any means so i know some flyers fans were hoping for more but i guess this is about what i expected from them
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting how many teams didn't do a lot. I think part of it has to do with the flat cap and how tough things are. And, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic as well. Everything's a little bit more difficult to make things move this year. And, you know, teams that were on the fringes of the playoffs, a lot of them didn't do a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Coyotes, the Stars, the Wild, the Rangers, the Blues, they were all quiet. They didn't do a lot. I don't think it's necessarily the wrong move for any of those teams because I think you look at a lot of them and based on the divisions that they're playing in even if you were to make it in you're facing some extreme heavy hitters mm-hmm. you know like it it's only so interesting to push in for like a St. Louis Blues team to go have to face Colorado you know yeah. like Colorado's almost 20 points ahead of them in the standings yeah like they're not going to win
0: yeah I mean, Minnesota, I guess, is a little bit of a surprise considering that their playoff spot is nearly assured because they're the third spot in the West. Uh, and yeah, they still got to face Vegas, though. I mean, that's true. I don't know. I, I mean, you're right that Vegas is like Vegas and Colorado are the top two teams. But I guess looking ahead to the playoffs, I wouldn't, you know, look past Minnesota necessarily because I'm really buying in on the Caprizov train. But maybe that's just me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I I wonder like the Rangers are the ones that kind of stick out to me as like the team that could have bought a little bit to try to push them over the hump because the Bruins have been not so great
0: and the Flyers and, are the Flyers and the Bruins are basically like no you no you no yeah. you and the Rangers are like well what about us so
1: but I wonder if they're like internally they realized that like, Oh yeah, they have a great gold differential, but uh, overall the underlying numbers for the Rangers are not great this year. And Mm -hmm. this is a team that's still in the process of kind of rebuilding a little bit. And yeah, they have some star players right now. And like Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin, but overall this is not the window, even though the East seems to be the one division that doesn't have like any extreme heavy hitter at the top. Like, you're but still, still to like you're gonna have to face like the Islanders, Islanders. The yeah. The Capitals like, are the
0: Islanders are the Penguins, and I mean, it's like, not easy. No, and I mean, we talked about what the Capitals added, the Islanders added Palmieri. Like, I mean, I know they're they're that's not like a superstar or anything, but they're they're still gonna be a tough team for. There's there's to me a clear division in the East of like the top three teams, and then whomever gets that fourth spot, there's like a yeah. clear divide of like these are like I guess maybe not the flashiest, the the biggest names, not like an They're avalanche. not the sexy teams. Yeah, but there there's a clear divide between those top three and then whomever is gets that fourth spot and it's going to be a difficult run for whomever is in that fourth spot, so.
1: Yeah, and with, with the trade deadline, you know, there's, uh, it, it's just, how much are you going to add that's going to like take you over the top, you know? And I understand when teams that are on the edge like that kind of stand pat, especially if they're not in the, in danger of necessarily losing something. And also this year with fans, well, in some areas there are fans and stands now, but for the most part, it's limited capacity, right? So like Mm -hmm. you're not making millions of dollars for your team by getting an extra couple playoff games. So there might not be a push from ownership to really stock up, uh, to, to try to win one series or extend it to seven. At least this is the year that if you're going to stand pat, it kind of makes sense. So that, uh, that doesn't uh, surprise me very much. But coming up, we're going to talk about are the Montreal Canadiens interested in Tony D'Angelo? This was the rumor that went around on Twitter yesterday during the deadline. It got everybody fired up. Is Tony D'Angelo on the way to the Montreal Canadiens once he's bought out by the Rangers? Ooh, he'd better get his car fixed. It's got a bit of a long drive, that's the way. And if you got to get your car fixed, you better check out rockauto.com. With the ever increasing number of makes and models, it's now possible to stock all the parts you'll or it's now not possible to stock all the parts you'll need at a traditional chain storefront. Winder often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while your counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Just open up your phone, Go to rockauto.com and have access to every brand you can think of for all the parts you can think of. You can find fuel pumps. You can find carpet. You can find headlamps, tail lamps, all sorts of things to make your car in ship shape. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a, a membership or an account login. It's also a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to motor oil. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get anything you need with a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Why pay full price when you can pay half price? It's an easy decision. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on on their how-did-you-hear-about-us section And they'll know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all your parts, your car will ever need Rockauto.com. today on the locked on today podcast, get more of the sports news you need in less time with the locked on today podcast. Follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes on the locked on today podcast host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of local experts. I was actually on the locked on today podcast just last night to recap the trade deadline. You can check it out on the odyssey app. A U D a C Y Mary Darren Drager had a crazy tweet yesterday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He said the Montreal Canadians were interested in trading for Tony D'Angelo. And that the reason why it didn't happen was not that they lost interest, but that uh, Tony D'Angelo did not want to, or no, it wasn't a trade. I don't think it was like, he didn't want to be bought out a uh, mutually terminate his contract right now with the Rangers, because if he waits until the end of the, uh, or wait until the off season, he gets another $2.7 million. Mm-hmm. So I thought there would be no team that would touch Tony D'Angelo for at least a year. Apparently I was wrong. Um, this has divided Canadians fans on Twitter that, uh, you have the ones who believe that van can do no wrong, who consistently point out that, uh, you know, he constantly brings up character as like his number one trait for acquiring players. He wants leaders. He wants good guys in the room. And, you know, like that's why he's made some of the moves that he's made. And they say like, Oh, he would never want this guy, but he's also signed Nick cousins who has an outstanding charge that was dropped, but we all know how sexual assault cases are dealt with. It's very difficult to ascertain truth. uh, And it's very difficult for women to have their voices heard, especially with uh, men who have clout. Uh, So Nick cousins has that in his history. He's brought in some anti-immigrant people like Max Domi. Uh, There've been some things that have gone on in the organization that don't really push the idea that there is a that his definition of character is what everybody else might think, right? It, it's more an on ice thing that he's talking about, like the Shea Weber's of the world. He's not talking about the greatest people. Otherwise, you know, I don't think the the player who has made, I believe, the largest contributions to charity in NHL history would be considered a bad character guy in PK mm-hmm. Subban. So, the thought that I had was, what would Darren Drager have to gain? by putting this out publicly with his name to it on trade deadline day, when there's a lot of attention on insiders, if he wasn't sure. And Darren Drake, it's not like, he hasn't been wrong in the past. He has been, and he's gotten things wrong about the Canadians, but also just because somebody is interested in somebody doesn't mean it's going to happen. And this could not happen. And Drager could still have been right. So my look at it is, I don't see any reason to doubt Darren Drager here, mm-hmm. but I do see a very big reason to indict the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Cause I just don't know how you can have a team that's so up and down like this and think that adding a legitimate cancer to the room is going to fix it. Like I really, I get that Tony D'Angelo is a talented hockey player, but excuse me, <laughs> this, this is what you're after. Yeah. Come on, come yeah. on.
0: I mean, it's clear that they're, I mean, we'll I, we'll talk about it shortly, about their acquisitions at the deadline um, and how it was very much focused on defense. But Tony D'Angelo isn't the answer here. I know he brings some offensive capabilities, but his defensive numbers aren't great. And like you said, he's not a good person. At least that's the persona he admits to the world at the moment. We haven't heard much of anything from him since all that stuff went down earlier in the season and he left the Rangers, put him on waivers. He left the team. I don't remember exactly how he left the Rangers, but yeah, he's, it's not a PR mess. He's a PR mess. You don't want to touch it. And I am very surprised to have seen his name pop up at the deadline because I, like you thought that it would have been some time for an NHL team to, take a take a flyer on him possibly I mean we know how the NHL is with um issues of like bringing back coaches that have you know done wrong I mean Mike Babcock all the stuff that happened with him he got a gig at NBC Sports for a little bit and then now I think he's coaching in high school somewhere so we know how hockey culture is with this type of stuff but I'm just surprised that it was this quick in my opinion
1: yeah. I, I thought it'd be a lot longer. I thought he would at least have to play in the American hockey league or something to earn his stripes or play somewhere, maybe go to Europe and uh, show that he'd reformed. But yeah, I'm I, I'd like to say that I'm shocked by this, but I also, I remember not too long ago that the Canadians were rumored to be interested in Slava Voinov when he was having his court date to uh, be able to re-enter into the NHL. And At the time, I believe the Canadians denied it. And I know that the original source for that was a Russian publication, Mm -hmm. which, you know, might not be as trustworthy in their sourcing for, you know, in Montreal, but it was also uh, brought up by uh, TVA sports, which is the rights holder here for national games in Quebec. So it's, definitely a pattern of acquiring players with questionable histories in Montreal. And I'm just, I see this kind of stuff and I'm, I'm glad I'm not a fan of the team anymore because <laughs> it, it's like from a general fan perspective, it's you're annoyed that this player is still getting attention. But for, if you're like a personal fan of that team perspective, I feel like you'd just be, enraged you know like Mm -hmm. it's a betrayal to you personally that they would do this and you know I think that there are a lot of people out there who say like you're trying to win games it's not a morality play you have to do the best for your team but there are lines that have to be drawn somewhere Mm -hmm. and I think for the NHL it's very clear that Slava Voinov at this point not coming back right like it's it seems like that's not happening that line was clearly drawn uh Tony D'Angelo, it remains to be seen if that line is drawn. It seems like it hasn't been. It seems like he's going to get more chances, which is, you know, I don't want to say that he can't change, but at this point, I don't think he's earned another chance.
0: And he needs to put in the work. I mean, if you're going to change, you need to put in the work and you need to be public about putting in the work, especially if you're a public person like Tony D'Angelo is like, I know he's like a private citizen, but he's also played hockey for the New York Rangers for a certain amount of time. If you're, if you want to change as a person, you need to put in the work and you need to show that you've put in the work and you need to show that you've changed. And he hasn't, at least to my knowledge, he hasn't done that. As far as I'm aware, we haven't heard a peep from him since, you know, he left the team and has been basically sitting at home for the last couple months. So if well, you're going to that
1: uh, softball interview with Larry Brooks, that was um, an embarrassment to journalism. Oh, that's right. the PHWA decided to, uh, post as like a, an extra promotion of something great, which was... I
0: like blocked that from good. my memory, but besides that, yes. Yeah. He's been... And even then, he didn't... I didn't read the piece, but from all the from all that I gathered from the reaction to it, he hasn't put in the work yet, and he needs no. to show that he's putting in the work, and then we'll see, but until that point, he shouldn't be anywhere close to the NHL again.
1: Yeah, so stay away from Tony D'Angelo, but... Mm-hmm. The Canadians also did make a lot of moves on defense. Um, They lost Victor Mete to waivers. They added uh, John Merrill and they added Eric Gustafson. Um, Mete is a player who really underrated. Uh, I don't understand what it is that the Canadians just don't like him. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's a, it's a personal thing. I'm not sure. I'm not in that locker room, but over the last three years uh, or the first three years of his career, Only Jeff Petrie has a higher expected goals for percentage than Victor Mete uh, relative to teammates. He has the highest actual goals for percentage relative to teammates. Uh, It's almost 10% better while Mete is on the ice. And part of that is going to be because he played some sheltered minutes in a third pairing role, but he also played tough minutes with Shea Weber as a rookie as a 19 year old, you know, like this player is only 22 He's already put in three successful NHL seasons. He has legitimate weaknesses in his game. He's 5'9". He's not very strong. He gets muscled out around the net. That's true. But the Canadians give up fewer net front chances with him on the ice than with him off the ice because of all the good things that he brings outside of that area that prevent those situations from happening in the first place. He is one of their better transition players. Uh, He doesn't actually contribute a lot of personal offense but while he's on the ice offense ticks up considerably. So he is in a lot of ways, a very modern defenseman in that he's a facilitator, but he doesn't hog the puck and shoot it from the blue line on low, uh, low percentage plays. So like, this is a player who I think Ottawa's really going to like, uh, I like, don't get bogged down in his weaknesses, but uh, he's, he's brings a lot to the table and, he never really got a chance this year. Uh, he was held out for the first stretch of the year uh, so that they could pump Joel Edmondson's tires while he struggled, and so they could show off uh, Romanoff as well. And he was decent to start the year, but uh, he he once Mete got in the lineup, he really struggled. He was rusty, and every mistake he made, he was put back on the bench. And that's just not the way that you get young players playing well. You're going to shatter their confidence. But over the course of the season, despite being scratched over and over again, he started to get his feet under him. And over this last stretch of the season, he was very—he playing very well in a third-pairing role with Romanov. They had a very, very strong stretch until one game where they struggled. And that one game, they blew it up and scratched him. <laughs> it was like, okay, guys, like... The first pairing with Weber and Edmondson or Sherratt has been struggling for half the season and you won't make a change, but this guy, one game, you know, he has a one-off game and he's scratched and put on waivers. It's, it's always frustrating to see the way the NHL treats youth player, younger players compared to veteran players and what the standards are. But yeah, I think Victor Mete is a best for them. And they kind of tried to replace the things that he brings with two players who bring, Half of what he brings, but like a little bit different. Like Merrill is a much stronger uh, defensive defenseman, but he doesn't really move the puck very well. Doesn't create much offense. And then Eric Gustafson, as Mary can attest from watching the Flyers and as any Chicago Blackhawks fan can attest from watching the, the Blackhawks when he was there, uh, superb offensive defenseman uh, can run a power play. Awful in his own zone.
0: Oh, yeah. You could say that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Gustafson, uh, since uh, he's the one I have, I guess, the most familiarity with from watching the Flyers uh, this season. um, There were moments when he showed some real, like, offensive jump. At least on defense, he may have scored the Flyers' first goal of the year. It's been a very long time since then, but that feels like that feels stuck in my memory that he possibly scored the Flyers' first goal of the season. Uh, So I remember earlier in the year he had like a at least one of the like opening games he had like a big game he had like a couple goals. Like he was scoring, he was scoring some goals, but then, then we got to see the drop off in defense where he'd, you know, pinch too far. And then there'd be a odd man break going the other way. He, Yeah. But if, if you're getting Eric Gustafson, you're bringing him in for his offense. And even then you want him in sheltered minutes. Cause boy, howdy, he is definitely not a defensive defenseman.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of people were pointing out his 60 point season in Chicago, but uh, I mean, look at his career, 14 points in 41 games. So like 28 point season, 16 and 35. so like 30 ish point season, 35 point season, 60 points, then 26 and 59. So like, I think this year, 10 and 24, you're looking at a half point game, half point, a game guy at most, That's 60 point season. He also shot like a forward. He, he scored on almost 11% of his shots, which is completely absurd for a defenseman. I think he has the ability to add some positives to the Montreal Canadiens, but I think that the issue is they have a lot of the same guy on defense. And I don't even necessarily mean that stylistically in that they have very limited applications. They have uh, some uses, but they don't have a lot of guys who do it all. Do you know what I mean? They have Petrie who does everything. Uh, Weber, who used to, but has kind of started to really struggle in certain aspects of the game. And that's it. Uh, Everyone else is a bit part player. Um, I'm just not sure this defense can get it done. I I think that overall as a team, their team defense is all right. But I, I just feel like this team, if they get behind, they have a lot of trouble joining the attack from the back end unless Petrie's on the ice. And maybe Gustafson helps that a little bit, at least in the on the third pair. But when they get behind, they have trouble and they just don't generate a lot. And when they do generate from like their offense from defense comes from point shots, not keeping plays alive and getting the play lower or pinching in aggressively. So it, it's just more of the same Mm-hmm. And I don't see any necessary solutions here. I see parts that could help in certain situations, but nothing pushing them over the edge.
0: Yeah. And I mean, especially since the Canadians are, what, I think in the fourth spot right now. Yeah. yeah. It it This doesn't move the needle for them. And they probably needed something from what you were saying that. Did a little bit more for them to solve their problems, um, especially going into the postseason. But it seems like these moves don't really do much in that regard.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. And I think the, the issue with the Canadians for a long time here is they've made a lot of decent but not great bets. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're not going for. High reward. And I, I think they had a really good offseason. Uh, Bergevin brought in Tyler Folly, Josh Anderson. Edmondson's worked out better than I expected. Uh, Jake Allen, I think, was huge, especially now with Price injured, which was exacerbated by his own pushing to play through the injury in a game, which is a consistent issue for him. But, yeah, the, lots of bad bets. But if you want to make some good bets, you head over to Bet Online. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline oh, even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and free to sign up. Head to the website to use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Your online sportsbook experts bet online promo code locked on be a waiver wire winner with daily fantasy hockey advice from locked on fantasy hockey fantasy hockey expert. Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights and analysis for season long dynasty and DFS league. Follow locked on, follow the locked on fantasy hockey podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a U D A C Y coming up on Thursday. We're going to talk to Joe Yurden about the Buffalo Sabres. Do they have any hope coming up in the future? Are they just going to be a sad sack forever? Is Jack Eichel going to actually be traded this offseason? We're going to ask Joe Yurden all that and more on the Thursday edition of the Crosscheck NHL podcast. So we promised off the top of the show that we were going to grade every NHL team's deadline. And we're going to try to do this as fast as possible because there's 31 teams. Uh, Mary, do you want to grade from 1 to 10 or A to F? Uh
0: and Yesterday on our on the live show we did um we did I think one out of ten uh, so maybe let's just do A to F why not mix it up a little bit all
1: right we'll mix it up all right so we'll start we'll do alphabetically the Anaheim Ducks they acquired Hayden Flurry for Yanni Hakapah I don't know who that is actually and a 2022 20, sixth round pick uh, they also acquired a fifth round pick for Ben Hutton from the Maple Leafs and they acquired Alexander Volkov from the lightning for antoine morand in a conditional 7th and that's it well, i guess that was in march but still it counts
0: yeah it counts i mean it was within the last like couple of weeks so i guess it counts in terms of like the deadline and stuff i mean i know that uh, hayden Flurry being traded was kind of a shock um for a canadians fan or not canadians fans uh hurricanes Hurricane fans, fans. We- yeah thank you i was like i knew there i knew it sounds a little bit the same but yeah um
1: yeah, the canadians have kale flurry. i think yeah okay brothers.
0: Yeah, that just sounds about right. Um, I think I gave it a B. I mean the the Ducks are kind of like they're they're not really doing much this year, so I guess they're kind of shoring up acquisitions for the future. But I think uh, everything I've heard about Hayden Flurry is decent, good. So we'll see how it shakes out.
1: Yeah, I was a bit surprised they didn't sell off more, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean there was rumors of Ricard Raquel being available. Yeah, I I was and Corey Perry
0: too. Yeah. I think.
1: You mean Ryan Getzlaff? Oh,
0: yes. Thank you, Ryan yes. Getzlaff. Oh, boy, man. Yeah, the, the Can Canadians reportedly something?
1: kicked tires on that and yeah. were told no. Uh, mm-hmm. Danton Heinen is an RFA. I I guess he could have been moved, but uh, a lot of their guys have two years or more left, so it makes sense that they didn't blow it up too much. I, I was surprised maybe that Ryan Miller didn't have a market. Like That would have been a, a trade that I would have been interested to see for Colorado instead of Devin Dubnik. But, uh, yeah, I will give it a C. Cause I, I just expected more movement. That's all. Fair. All right. So the Arizona coyotes who did nothing. Got, yeah. They did nothing. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, if a team is on the edge and I don't think they're a competitor uh, and they do nothing, it's just like a C like a decent pass.
0: Yeah. I was going to say C just because that's, I guess, baseline average. Um, and if you do nothing, I guess that's kind of basically, you don't like move up or down. You're just kind of there. So I guess C I guess it makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. So uh, the Boston Bruins, uh f- Taylor Hall uh, and Curtis Lazar for andrews Bork and a, a second round pick, in 2021, and Mike Riley on defense from the Ottawa Senators for a third round pick in 2022. I give them an A. Yeah, I didn't I think that they should a. be buying, but they didn't. They didn't sacrifice anything, and, and they, they got...
0: didn't give up a first for Taylor. Yeah, Park. yeah.
1: So yeah like that's I, that's an A in my book. I think they're the biggest winners of the deadline. Yeah, personally.
0: At least, at least on face value, we'll see yes. how things shake out uh, with hindsight, but at least on face value, the, the, um, the Bruins definitely are my winners. So I guess I'm a plus since like, I don't know if I'll denote a, a plus, but at least for me, they're top of the league right now.
1: Yeah. So the Buffalo Sabres uh, obviously traded Taylor Hall, got a second round pick and Andrews Bork. I'm just going to go over uh, back a couple weeks as well for them. Uh, Brandon Montour on deadline day as well, or right before deadline day. For a third round pick, um, they got a third and fifth round pick for Eric Stahl, they got a sixth round pick for Jonas Johansson in mid-March, and yeah, that's it. So they got a lot of mid round picks and one second round pick. I, I expected more of a sell-off for them, but yeah. I'm gonna give them a B just because I think this this year is a good year to stock up on those mid round picks because there's so much draft uncertainty, and uh you know it's just just throw them a bone. They didn't have many expiring contracts, you know, like their main expiring contracts were like Tobias Reeder. I don't think there's a lot of market for him. Riley Sheehan can't see either being a big market. Matt Irwin, nah. You know, like they're not gonna trade. Uh, I mean, I think they were expected to possibly trade Lina Salmark or Lena Salmark, but he's been so good for them that it might be worthwhile to hang on. All
0: right. I'll give him I'll give him a C plus because that not getting a first for Taylor Hall. I mean, I know we, you know, gave yeah. the Bruins an A for not giving up a first, but you know, I, I still don't like. I, I understand, but it still is, you know, frustrating. If you were a, a Sabres fan looking for more assets to get, so I'll give them a C C+, just to be a contrary. All
1: right. So the Calgary Flames, uh, they sold Sam Bennett for Emil Heineman and a second round pick, and they gra- grabbed a third round pick for David Riddich from the Maple Leafs. I give the flames a B plus because they recognize that they're out of it. Uh, I think that's tough to do. And I think a second round pick for Sam Bennett is even if they included a six round pick as well is a steal yeah. and it's also a future pick. Uh, so it's not 2021. It's a 2022 second round pick, which means the value is coming later, but I think it signals that maybe the flames are heading into a rebuild. And also, moving it a a year from now while the, while the Panthers aren't crushing it possibly, you know, like right now the Panthers picks probably gonna be a little bit hot, uh, a little bit low in the round next year might not be. I like, I always like trading for high picks in the future. I think it's just a smart thing to do.
0: Yeah. I think that that is a good summation of what they did at the deadline. And I know flames fans may want, you know, the things to, you know, more active, be more active at the deadline. But I think that what you said that they're Moves are coming, and the offseason will be interesting for them.
1: So the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, they just traded Hayden Fleury. Um, I give them – I mean, I don't think they needed a lot, but I think this was a a big opportunity for them to load up. I know they just did that last year with uh, Trocek, but I give them a D. I'll give them a C.
0: I'll give them a C, but, yes, more would have been nice.
1: All right. The Chicago Blackhawks, I give them a confusion because I <laughs> couldn't figure out what the heck they were doing. Going back a couple weeks, they have made so many trades. They traded for Vinny Hinestroza, who used to be with them, uh, for Brad Morrison from the Panthers. They acquired Brett Connolly, Henrik Borgstrom, Ryan Stillman, and a seventh-round pick for Lucas Walmark and Lucas Carlson. They acquired Adam Godette for Matthew Highmore. And they acquired Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolston for Carl Soderberg. It really looks like they just, like, grabbed a ton of contracts.
0: Yeah, that. And they also added a bunch of, like, draft picks, too. I mean, they had, like, that. They were part of, like, the three-way deal um, That's with right, the TSCN mark um, from going from there to the Golden Knights. And, like, then they also picked up a fourth-rounder for Madison Bowie. So, like, yeah, I... You're right. It is confusing because like they kind of did a bit of both of buying and selling. Um, And that's weird for a team in their position, but they, you know, got a bunch of draft picks, got some contracts. So yeah, I think maybe a, a C cause that's also average C to C minus. I don't know. I guess I'm just, I don't know what their plan is. So I, it's hard to grade this one because it's like, what are you doing? Chicago?
1: Yeah. I think that's the main issue with the Chicago Blackhawks right now and grading them is the plan is not clear, mm-hmm. but like you said, they grabbed a second round pick this year, a third round pick next year, a fourth round pick this year. All right, maybe I'll pop it up to like a B
0: <laughs> just because yeah. of the just because of the draft picks.
1: They added a lot of assets. They didn't really lose much. So yeah, I'm gonna also give them a B. All
0: right. That sounds a bit more fair. <laughs> Sorry, Chicago.
1: <laughs> the Colorado Avalanche added Carl Soderbergh uh, for Josh Dickinson, Ryder Olson, which we already mentioned. They added Devin Dubnik for Greg Pattern and a fifth round pick. Uh, earlier last week, they added Patrick Nemeth for a fourth round pick with the 50% salary retained from the Red Wings. And a few weeks ago, they added Jonas Johansson from the Sabres for a sixth round pick. I, I give the Avalanche a D, and it, it's mainly on the back of, I just don't like the Dubnik trade. I yeah, think we
0: talked about it yesterday, and I remember yeah. you
1: saying that. Everything else seems all right, but yeah. I, I expect them to get a better goaltender just in case.
0: I still have hope for Dubnik, but yeah, I can definitely see why a D. So I can say that too, just because like there were probably better goaltenders on the market out there. I mean, Bernier, I think, could have been one of them. So yeah, like the,
1: we there were Ryan there were Miller.
0: Yeah, there were better options, I think, for them to pick. But let's hope that the goaltending isn't the downfall of their season again this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets acquired a first round pick and a fourth round pick for Nick Felino. Uh, heading over to the Maple Leafs. And through the Sharks, they retained some of that uh, salary, but the Columbus Blue Jackets didn't pay them for any of that. Uh, It was the Maple Leafs who gave them a fourth-round pick. Uh, They also acquired a first-round pick and a third-round pick for David Savard from the Red Wings. Oh, no, not from the Red Wings, sorry. From the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Red Wings facilitated that. And they also added a conditional seventh for riley nash which seems like a very very low return uh last week i gave them i give them an a Uh, two first round picks in this economy uh (laughs) also two three-way trades i just gotta clap i just gotta clap because honestly that's tough getting Mm -hmm. salary retained by other teams twice on two trades to facilitate getting a first round pick in both that's amazing that's yeah good work from there.
0: They're up there with me with Boston for, I mean, if Boston was the buyer of the deadline um, that one, then the blue jackets are the seller of the deadline that one, in my opinion, because getting two first round picks. um, I mean, probably both are going to be high considering Toronto and uh, Tampa Bay expect to at least be, you know, in the playoffs, like further into the playoffs, but still like you got to commend that they did good work.
1: They did. And like Mike Johnson said on the podcast last week with us, uh, the first round picks that are like low in the draft this year, probably have a little bit more value than usual because of that uncertainty and players that could fall. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's super interesting what uh, Columbus has been able to do. And I think it it also takes a lot of self-awareness to be on the edge of a playoff spot and sell. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Columbus has made some big moves at the deadline in recent years, both adding and now selling, this is Yarmulkekekelein's time to shine is the deadline every year. All right. Dallas did nothing. nothing. We already talked about how this is, uh, this is fine. We'll, we'll do.
0: I un- give it a C just because yeah. like we said, didn't, didn't move up or down. I mean, I, I don't know if you could make the case that they should have been buyers, but they are getting people back from injury. So that I guess is essentially, you know, adding at the trade deadline without
1: adding at the trade deadline. For so. sure. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings brought in Jacob Vrana, Richard Panik, First-round pick, second-round pick for Anthony Manta, which we mentioned off the top. That was part of our main story. Uh, They brought in Hayden Verbeek and a fifth-round pick from the Canadians for John Merrill. They also were the team that retained salary on the David Savard deal and got a fourth-round pick from the Tampa Bay Lightning for that. And earlier last week, they traded Patrick Nemeth to the Colorado Avalanche for a fourth-round pick. I would give the Red Wings an A as well. I think they did really good here. They weaponized their cap space to get an extra asset Uh, I think like as much as I really like Anthony Manta and the cost certainty of his contract, I like Jacob Vrana almost as much. And plus I I don't think Manta is so much better than Vrana than to be worth a first and second round pick. And that is really nice asset management by Steve Eiserman.
0: Yeah. Steve Eiserman knows his stuff. Um, And yeah, I definitely think if they're also in that A tier of being like Right behind, right behind uh, Columbus in terms of like what they did at the deadline as a seller. So I don't think you can complain much at all if you're a Red Wings fan here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the Oilers, uh they brought in Dmitry Kulikov for a conditional fourth round pick in 2022 from the for the Devils, and that's it. And I give them an F. Uh, <laughs> I like the Kulikov deal is fine. uh He's had an all right year for Dmitry Kulikov. He is what he is. He adds a little bit of defense for them, uh, some stay-at-home quality. But if you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel in their primes and they're leading the league in scoring again, and you have a path through your division that starts with the Winnipeg Jets, who are a bit of a paper tiger, and you're not going to try to improve your depth. Like, nobody's asking you to go out there and get Taylor Hall, except for me, who really wanted it to happen for the Taylor Hall Revenge Tour. But it wasn't the expectation. Get some depth to support these guys. Yeah, like the what, Oilers are such a different team from their first and second line to their third and fourth line. And it shouldn't be that stark, even with those stars. And I'm just so frustrated on behalf of Oilers fans that they just, they settle for being okay. Yeah, they okay. settled
0: and... I think Ken Holland. I think. Let me. I. I don't know where the quote is, but he said something yesterday. It was like you don't have to go for it every year. I think. I, I think it but was like, him that said that. What, yes, why? you
1: do with these players. Yes, you do. And also, you've only been in the playoffs like one time. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, two times. But like. How could you? No, no, they didn't make the playoffs last year. They got knocked out by Chicago. So they didn't Mm -hmm. actually playoffs last year. They've been in the playoffs one time in six years of Connor McDavid. That is a disgrace. It's an absolute embarrassment. And you're going to tell me that one year where you are guaranteed to make the playoffs, where you have a first round opponent that is not amazing. You're not going to go all in, get out of here, get out Mm -hmm. of here. Ken Holland. Like that is an embarrassment. Yeah. All right. So F for me. <laughs> yep. Same. F's in the chat for Oilers fans. Yep. The Florida Panthers uh, acquired Sam Bennett for a second round pick and Emil Heineman, which we mentioned and acquired Brandon Montour. And last week acquired uh, Lucas Walmark, Lucas Carlson, who's an AHL player. Um, I just don't like the ads. I like, I get depth. I think they overpaid for Sam Bennett. Like I'd give them a D minus.
0: I was kind of higher on them a little bit um, because it was nice to see them move and stuff at the deadline to, you know, add depth. But considering where other teams who are contenders um, moved up in relative position to them, I agreed that their deadline was less than inspiring.
1: All right. Los Angeles. uh, They got a third round pick conditional and a fourth round pick conditional in 2022 and 2023, respectively from the Pittsburgh Penguins for Jeff Carter. And that's pretty much it unless we go back into March where they acquired Christian Wollanen for Michael Maddio, which is an AHL deal. And uh Brandon Lemieux for a fourth round pick, which is a, bleh, no one cares. Mm-hmm. Uh I thought they didn't get a lot for Carter, but also like,
0: fine. A, he he yeah. had a year
1: remaining. He's not a great player anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd give them a C. Yeah.
0: A C to even a B maybe like yeah. even getting like, I know that there's like a bunch of conditions on the on those picks that uh, the Penguins gave, like the Penguins sent to them so that the 2022 third round pick and upgrade to a second if the Penguins reach the 2020-21 Stanley Cup final and Carter plays 50% of the games. So like conditions aside, but I think that the possibility of them uh, getting a second for that, I guess is like, I guess a conditional B from me, because we'll see a if conditional B. a <laughs> conditional B fits <laughs> We're with We're adding
1: B. conditions to our ratings.
0: Yeah, conditional oh, okay. B.
1: Minnesota did nothing, so I I think that's a C for us. Uh, It makes sense. The Montreal Canadiens, Eric Gustafson, uh, John Merrill, will include the Eric Stahl deal and uh, losing Victor Mete to waivers. I give them a D-. The Eric Stahl deal was uh, interesting, uh, but the fact that they've used it to displace one of their young centers to the wing is not smart. I think Stahl should just be a winger. Uh, he can mm-hmm. take faceoffs, but uh, play on the wing.
0: Yeah, I Just, mean, we like, talked about it at length. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it at length, and I agree. Their deadline deals weren't really inspiring, and they really didn't. It didn't move the needle, and it it, it could have honestly set them back. Who knows?
1: Yeah, the Nashville Predators acquired Eric Goodbranson for Brandon Fortunato and a seventh round pick. We told the Predators not to buy. They didn't really like. There's nothing really ventured here, but Goodbranson yeah. is terrible. So yeah. I'm still giving them a D. Like, I, I don't think Took they should Took a step really... back. Yeah. Like, they didn't need to- Like, they're not getting admonished for buying because they didn't go too heavy into it. But uh, this is not the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just not- They should have just done evaluation. nothing.
0: They should have just done nothing instead yes. of trying this move. So, an- yeah.
1: A nothing, I would have bumped them up to a B because it was what we told them to do. So they would have yeah. got like an extra- If you had listened to us, listening. if you
0: had listened to us, David Boyle, you would have gotten a B here. But instead. exactly.
1: All right, the New Jersey Devils got a conditional fourth from Edmonton for Kulikov. They got uh, Jonas Siegenthaler for a conditional third-round pick that belongs to Arizona, to Washington. And last week, they got A.J. Greer, Mason Jobst, a first-round pick, and a conditional fourth-round pick for Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. I think given the year and the fact that they didn't have to make a three-way trade, getting a first-round pick is Good. Uh, they retained a lot of salary on those on the Palmieri and Zajac deals, but it's only for this year. I'm pretty sure. So I, I give them a B.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say B.
1: B. First B round pick,
0: good. First round pick, good. You can't. I can't really find fault with that. They didn't really yeah. do much else otherwise that would move them into that top tier echelon of you know everybody else who's gotten like two firsts or whatever at the deadline. But I think a solid B to maybe even B plus, but solid B for me.
1: The New York Islanders brought in Braden Coburn for a seventh round pick and Kyle Palmieri, Travis Zajac, as we already discussed. Uh, I give them an A I, minus. Mm-hmm. I think the I, it would be an A if they just kept it at the Palmieri Zajac trade, but I think Coburn is just not very good. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't trade much for him. Seventh round picks, not that much. So just yeah. a minus for me.
0: Yeah, same. I mean, we talked at length uh, before about the Palmieri and Zajac deals and um, how possibly that they could, you know, maybe be the best deadline acquisitions you know when all is said and done at the end of the season we'll we'll see but um definitely an a- for me
1: uh new york rangers did largely nothing they sold uh, Brendan lemieux for a fourth round pick a couple weeks before the deadline see see yeah uh the ottawa senators sold Eric branson for a seventh round pick mike riley for a third round pick braden coburn for a seventh round pick a couple weeks ago they uh did made the that AHL deal. And, um, AHL deal and they picked up Victor Mete on waivers I give them like a B plus a minus I think they sold and actually got better yeah stealthy stealthy
0: yeah stealthy moves from them I mean they were all like all small potatoes moves really at the time but when you add them all together it definitely like savvy yeah yeah very savvy I mean The Senators really have something going on. I'll be really excited to see down the line what they turn into as a team, but this was definitely some crafty maneuvering up in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, and the Flyers, a fifth-round pick for Michael Raffle and added a seventh-round pick for Eric Gustafson.
0: And also re-signed Scott Lawton as well.
1: And re-signed Scott Lawton. I give them a C. Yeah,
0: yeah, that checks out. I mean, like I said, no Flyers fans were expecting more from them, Um, and the Lawton deal is probably few years too long but it any major moves will come for them in the in the um offseason but it was good to pick up some additional you know late mid to late round draft picks for yeah guys that probably weren't going to be on the team for much longer
1: the pittsburgh penguins brought in jeff carter as we mentioned uh i give it a like a b minus i think he's not a huge addition but they are doing the right thing and trying to go for it while Crosby and Malkin are still on the team.
0: B-minus, but it hurts my soul, because Jeff <laughs> Carter is on the Penguins, and uh, oh boy, my teenage self is crying right now.
1: Yeah. The San Jose Sharks uh, brought in Barabanov from the Toronto Maple Leafs for anti Suomela and they facilitated the Matthias Janmark trade by retaining salary, and in exchange got a fifth-round pick. Uh, they brought in uh, AHL deal. They traded Frederick Clayson for Magnus Crona, and they also facilitated the Nick Felino deal for Toronto and brought in a fourth round pick. I don't think they, like, a, they probably should have sold more, but I'm going to give them a B plus just for facilitating two deals and getting the picks. The same thing that uh, Columbus did. They just didn't also get first round picks. Out of it.
0: Yeah. They also traded uh Devin Dubnik to the avalanche right. as well. Right. And that, yeah. Um, but yes, I agree with that. Um, also, good for them for being the middleman on both of those uh, three-way trades. Uh, they picked up um, a fifth and a fourth for them, uh, just to basically retain some salary. I don't think that's too bad, in my opinion. So,
1: and the St. Louis Blues,
0: nothing. So uh, they didn't do anything. Yeah, nothing. So C. Tampa so mm-hmm.
1: Bay Lightning. Um, I like the David Savard acquisition. I don't think it was amazing. Um, the other AHL deal doesn't matter. I would give them like a B. Yeah,
0: um, I really, I think that they, you know, added a, to a position of weakness. Um, I mean, I know Savard wasn't, is you know, the sexiest player or whatever, but he was the top defenseman on the trade board. Um, so they went out and got him and did some funky cap maneuvering to make it work. So I'll go B plus um, just because I, you know, really respect the hell out of their cap wizardry. All
1: right, the... Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, there's the Barabanov deal for Suomela, which is small potatoes. Uh, Ben Hutton for a fifth round pick, David Riddich for a third round pick. Uh, adding Nick Felino and Stefan Nosen with the salary retained from the Sharks for a first and fourth round pick in uh, 2021 and 2022, and then Riley Nash for a conditional seventh in 2022. Um, I like normally, I think they addressed some depth issues, but. Like I, I'm stuck here. I think they overpaid significantly for Felino, even yeah. with the salary retention.
0: I didn't really like that deal for them. I mean, I know that they picked up Foligno, uh part in because of what he brings, like I, I, the intangibles. Uh, he's you know a, a gritty player, a veteran, but they've already got people like Wayne Simmons, like Joe Thornton, like that. Those guys. Like I don't, I don't necessarily know if he was needed. Um, in the bottom of their lineup. So I don't really understand that move. And they also overpaid. I would give it a D in my opinion, but I'm uh, willing to be proven wrong in the playoffs. If for some reason, these moves push them over the top, but I, I don't really understand what Kyle Dubas was going for here.
1: Yeah. I just gave it a C just because of the overpayment. I, I really mm-hmm. like the Riddick pickup, but overall,
0: yeah, the Felino Fol- the deal is what drags this down for me. I, I, I just don't really understand it. And the fact that they overpaid so much for a player of that caliber doesn't really make sense to me.
1: All right. The Vancouver Canucks got a sixth round pick for Jordy Ben. They picked up Madison Bowie from the Blackhawks for a fourth round pick and got Matthew Highmore for Adam Gaudet. I'm going to be harsh with them. I'm going to give a D minus. Uh, It's almost an F for me. I think the Vancouver Canucks, maybe they're going to be waiting for the off season, but they need some major restructuring here and they should have been much more aggressive to get I'm
0: going to give them a C just because the COVID stuff that they're going through is Mm, I wasn't expecting them I wasn't expecting them to be big players anyway because of the COVID situation they're going through so I'm just going to give them some leniency on that it's very possible that they could have done what you had said and sold more um, at the deadline had they not been in that position but at least I'm just going to give them that because I in my opinion I think it's unfair to grade them on you know deals that they didn't make because their team is in such upheaval right now with their COVID situation, but that that's is- a good
1: point. That's a good mm-hmm. point. All right. The Vegas golden Knights acquired Matthias Janmark with the sharks retaining salary for them for a second and third round pick. It seems like a bit of an overpay for me. Janmark's okay. okay. They also got Nick DeSimone and a fifth round pick, but uh, it's, it's fine. I'd give it like a B they, they made their team a little bit better. They did it despite having zero cap space. Yeah. Good creativity. Mm-hmm. All right. The Washington Capitals, uh, picked up Michael Raffle, decent depth and Anthony Mantha. They also acquired a conditional third round pick for Jonas Siegenthaler. I'd give them a solid B plus, maybe a minus. Yeah. Really they're like the just Mata on that tier. Thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're just close to that a tier for me. Um, the, the Manta pick was such a surprise. Like the, the trade was such a surprise, um, that really bumped the rankings up for me, but, um, yeah. They're right. They're right on that cusp, I think, of an A-tier.
1: And finally, the Winnipeg Jets, who acquired Jordy Ben for a six-round pick, who they think is not even going to break into the lineup unless somebody gets hurt. So it's a depth move, but they needed more help on defense. Yeah, so I I'm don't gonna know give why them they a didn't. D.
0: Yeah, I, I'll give them a D, D two or even an F. Why didn't they try and go after like somebody like a Savard? Like, I mean, I know that like, like maybe like the captain workout, but like still you've got to like try at least like, like Jordy Ben isn't going to move the needle for you on defense. They need defensive health, but I'm just, I'm very shocked that they didn't try more for a defenseman and they don't have anything to show for it.
1: And that does it for our ratings coming up next. We're going to do our little outro of uh, doing a Buzzfeed quiz to get to know Andrew and Mary and set up next episode on thursday where we talked to joe yurden right around this well mary that was tough to get through all those teams in one shot there we had to rank 31 teams and a ton of trades over the last couple of weeks here to get through it the best thing that you could do for yourself is to get some energy from a built bar built bar is the best tasting protein bar ever the new and improved built bar is even more delicious they have delicious new flavors like caramel brownie cookies and cream Cherry Barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, Apple Almond Crisp, and other flavors that are longtime classics like peanut butter, which I can't have because I'm allergic, German chocolate, banana bread, and mint brownie. Bilt Bars are healthy. They're built for the health, health conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bilt Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for keto diets. Check out their Coconut Almond. It has 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, that's barely any, and 5 grams of net carbs. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, all one word, for 15% off at builtbar.com. We're going to try to go through this as quickly as possible. We're going to do our BuzzFeed quiz to get to know Andrew and Mary. This one is... Picking foods, and it will reveal what 90s fashion trend you are. Oh, I'm afraid of this, Mary.
0: I don't, okay, I'm not sure how old you are, and you don't have to tell me, but I am a 90s kid. I was born in 1993,
1: so I was, I was born in 87, so I'm a little bit older than you.
0: But you're, you still at least remember the 90s, so that's that's something at least, so, because my sister is a late 90s kid and doesn't really remember the 90s, but that's neither here nor there, so I picked this quiz because we ran out of the BuzzFeed quizzes we've been doing earlier uh, in the shows, but it's eat a bunch of quintessential 90s foods, and we'll reveal what 90s fashion trend you are just because i was feeling nostalgic so if you want to go ahead and run through the questions andrew we can knock this out real quick
1: yeah okay pick a food pizza rolls fish sticks hamburger helper pizza bagels
0: pizza bagels i miss you so much i'll
1: go pizza rolls
0: Nah, uh, the pizza bagels i miss them all oh, the yeah. crunch the cheese the sauce perfect all right
1: pick a food mini chicken pot pies stuffed crust pizza chip casserole or toaster strudel stuffed crust pizza Mm, toaster strudel toaster are was my second pick, real good all right pick a food uh potato smileys from mccain's hot pockets olive focaccia or pop tarts
0: see okay i picked toaster strudel and i want to pick pop tarts so i'm gonna pick the potato smileys just to be different
1: i'm gonna go hot pockets put those in the microwave the middle's always cold or the middle's always yeah middle's always frozen outside's (laughs) always molten i pick a food uh cheeseburger packets uh dino nuggets lunchables or eggo waffles lunchables, lunchables. lunchables. there's no my... 90s kid that doesn't love lunchables yeah
0: i mean i remember eating them in the cafeteria back in like middle school oh, the boy. kids trying
1: to trade yeah. all right uh pick a food uncrustables oh my god i remember those spaghettios craft mac and cheese or kids cuisine i have to go with mac and cheese because craft dinner as it's called in canada is a canadian staple
0: uh, I'm going on crustables because I still have them today and they're still quite good. If you have them frozen, <laughs> perfection. All
1: right, pick a food: corn dogs, bean dip, Chef Boyardee, or Fruit Loops. Corn dogs for me, easy.
0: Um, yeah, corn dogs.
1: All right, uh, broccoli cheddar soup, DiGiorno pizza, Lucky Charms, or Dunkaroos.
0: Dunkaroos. Dunkaroos. I miss you. I miss the
1: Dunkaroos so much. We still have them up in Canada.
0: <gasps> you I, I actually I I go.
1: sent like a box full of Dunkaroos to a friend of mine in Seattle a few years ago
0: all right I'm coming all up right to pick a food
1: now. hard shell tacos sloppy joes chicken fries or barbecue chicken pizza hard shell tacos I love hard shell tacos
0: I actually I like soft shell tacos more so I'm gonna pick go too fries. but
1: I still love them mm. all right pick a food honey nut cheerios taco salad ruffles uh, that are french onion dip uh frozen taquitos taco salad for me ruffles and french onion dip there's nothing like a good french onion onion dip with your chips can't do onions was never my thing yeah that's fair uh alphabet soup mini quiche stuffed peppers or bologna sandwich oh mini quiche mini quiche yeah all right mine is chokers you're forever trendy and don't mind being in the spotlight hey chokers are back in aren't they
0: yeah, I think so. And same, I got the same thing. So, Jokers yeah, as well. Yeah, I want to see what the other ones were. So, maybe I'll retake it later and see what other 90s fashion trends there are. I'm surprised I didn't get something like all denim or whatever. Oh boy. Look at or like the crazy patterns and stuff. Like the 90s were the 90s were a time. And I'm glad I time. don't have a lot of photos from back then, or at least I don't have them. My parents probably have them. So, I can't remind myself how terrible my outfits were.
1: All right, that's all we have for you today. Coming up on Thursday, we're going to talk to Joe Yerdon. We're going to be breaking down all the NHL news. We can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to the Crosscheck NHL podcast on the Locked On Network. I'm Andrew Berkshire. She's Mary Clark. Follow us on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire, at Mary C. Clark, at Crosscheck NHL. Talk to you soon.